0: Welcome to the Arena Decklist podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Joined as always by Brian Gottlieb. And Brian, I need to know right now, is this going to be one of those episodes where we're like, you know, complainy and I told you so and all those fun things where people can just hit the back button now? Uh, no. Are no. you sure? No, I kind of want to. I kind of no. want to.
1: I'm just not going to do it, man. I'm I'm not going to do it. I think I have been very clear. In my stance. I think time is showing uh that I was right about some stuff, and that's all I need. I don't need to go any further than that. And I'm willing to just take what we're given on its face uh and discuss the metagame that is headed into worlds. Oh,
0: well, you're you're a better person than I am, I think.
1: I I think it's I don't think it's of any goodness in my heart. It's just like I've done it enough and dunked enough and like said enough that I'm kind of over it now. I I got it out of my system. If you would like to dunk and do some, you know, uh, posting, you certainly have, you have the floor right now. We'll see where the night takes us. Okay.
0: So the, the complaining aspect I, I wanted
1: to bring up,
0: uh, more so talking about the deck list leak
1: from worlds. Sure. There's always room for complaining as far as that goes. Uh, Obviously, I think without knowing the mechanics of what happened here, it's hard to assign blame. Uh, I just know who I feel bad for. And that's the players, particularly players who uh, were bold and went a little bit either off the beaten path or uh, with something that people wouldn't expect. There weren't many of them, only a few. And even in. You know, even in one of those cases, I think there's an argument that's a pretty small adjustment you're really going to have to make. But still, these decks were supposed to be posted round one, I believe. Friday morning, they're supposed to go up. The difference in preparation between knowing about the decks on whatever it was, Monday, Tuesday, and round one. I mean, you're going to have detailed sideboarding plans, know exactly what your opponent is capable of, especially given the stakes here. Uh, so it has, it has changed the entire field and the, the person I feel the most bad for is probably, uh, Noriyuki Mori, but we'll talk more about his deck list as, as we get to that specific part of the show, but to just like have a completely off the radar archetype that you believe in and you have faith in and certainly benefits from your opponents being uncomfortable with it and just have it outed like that. It's, it's really unfortunate. I wrote about Maury's deck this week, actually. Oh, that's great. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about that because I uh, worked on something that l- looks very similar uh, in, its, in its end form, and I discarded it because I believe it has some issues. So I'm really curious where Mori is going to stand. But I'm, I'm rooting for Maury more than anyone else in the field, without a doubt.
0: Yeah. So as far as who is to blame, yeah, it's, it's unclear, right? Like we, we don't know how the mechanics work and all that stuff. However, as far as like, oh, the mistakes happen, crowd, you you really gotta work a lot harder to sell me on that when this is literally the marquee tournament. And it's interesting because it is only a 16 player field versus if this happened in a pro tour level event where there's like three or four hundred players who would then be complaining and amplifying it on Twitter.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I don't know. I, I think the, the players are basically like free from the the Watsy shackles at this point. Like they can complain as, as much as they want. Right. And I think the players, to their credit, were mostly just trying to make the best of a bad situation. I saw a decent amount of players who were just like, OK, you know, let's just all make a pact to not test against each other's decks. Right. And I don't think that they got everyone on board, which is unfortunate. But it, it was cool to see them try and do that, you know.
1: Yeah, it's I guess as a competitor, like just speaking from a optimizing your chances and being the best tournament participant you could be, you got to let it go. I mean, there's there's really too much money at stake here. It's too small of a field. And now you're just dealing with a new format, basically a a new setup for the tournament and nothing, no amount of complaining, no amount of uh, Twitter posting is going to change that. So adapt, move on, and then there'll be plenty of time for complaining after the event. That's If I was a competitor in this event, that's how I'd be approaching this. It just, it just doesn't do anything. It's not worth your mental space right now.
0: Right, and they can't protest because they're all given 50k just for playing in the tournament. Right. So Wizards found a way to fix that solution, and they can't complain about, like, organized play going forward because it doesn't exist. Right. And there's no restitution for anything like this happening in an event right it's like yeah you complain they say you're sorry that's the only thing you can get out of it right
1: it is unfortunately and you know a a lot of power has been taken away from the players recently and i i would say there was a moment where trying to reclaim that power was a really good idea that moment's passed and it's not coming back there's there's just no leg to stand on if you're a player at this point and you kind of take what you're going to be given
0: I have some ideas to that effect, but we'll get into that next time. Shit hits the fan, I think.
1: Okay, fair enough. Put them in your holster.
0: Yeah. So interesting setup for the event, given that like you know we know the deck list, the competitors know the deck list. Like you mentioned, there are some folks that brought uh, definitely like off the beaten path archetypes. Mori's Azorius aggro deck definitely among them. Then the, the the four players playing the Grixis version of alrin's epiphany and i i think that there is a lot of edge to be gained in these small fields by mm. bringing something that folks have not prepared for because you know like the difference between like first and and tenth or whatever is so huge right so if if there were ever a tournament where you're like ooh, i want to do something in
1: the hopes that i this helps me spike the event i think that this is it What do you think about the uh, percentage of the equity that has been lost due to this leak? One of the really interesting things uh, was Andre Straski posted a deck list that he said that they thought about playing, but they were worried that their opponents would figure it out mid-tournament. Right. Basically like a a Demi Lich deck, uh, very hard self-mill. And... (laughs) It's funny because they would have certainly figured it out pre-tournament had they ran with that deck. And uh, instead, I think they ended up with the best deck in the field. More to come on that. But uh, imagine, imagine what that did to their chances if they had played that other option. And like, just where do you feel these more left field archetypes stand now? How much of their edge have they lost? I
0: don't know. In In the case of Maury's deck, I think that He, he is definitely a player that, you know, tries to play something off the beaten path to get that sort of edge. And yes, his deck is unconventional, but at the same time, it's like you look at the deck list and you kind of know what it's up to. You might not have like the exact reps down or whatever, but it's, it's really not something super, super weird. And Really, neither is this Grixis deck. It, it is kind of more of the same, just with some different tools. So I really don't think that, you know, if you presented me like this Grixis deck versus like in a normal, like good stock, is it list? And you're like, well, Is it one is slightly better, but the Grixis one is weird. You know, maybe you get some percentage points that way. It's like you can't you can't sell me on that.
1: Right. Especially with the players of the caliber that are going to be at Worlds.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, respect your opponents, especially at Worlds. Right. Like, yeah, maybe round four or whatever, the first constructed round. It's like, okay, people aren't used to this. You're maybe getting some edge there. But certainly by like round 14, they're going to be talking to people. They're going to be maybe like, you know, watching the the coverage as it's going on and stuff like that. It's like they're going to they're going to figure out how to play against your deck like very, very quickly. So, you know, if you're willing to give up like five percent deck equity for half a percent in round four equity. I mean, sure, go ahead. That's technically a thing you can do, but it's not worth it. So I would expect in the case of the Grixis deck that they actually just believe that
1: it's good and aren't trying to capitalize on some sort of like gotcha moment. I think that's a good read. I actually want to back up for a second because I, as we've been talking, I am kind of stewing on the idea of blame and who should be assigned it. This this sounds like the topic that I want to talk about. Well, here's the talk to me about blame. Why do you need a third party to be involved in your 16 person tournament? Like, wh- why is this even happening? Wh- what is Melee's function in all of this? To say nothing about like its use as a tournament platform, which it just shouldn't exist. Like it should be handled by the arena client itself. And it, it's a, a tool of necessity because the client is not full featured enough. But when it comes to a 16 person tournament, what are we even getting by including that system in the loop? And Melee's doing the pairings for him. Uh, Do you remember, like... I mean, like, who who cares? Really, that's, that's the upside of adding this point of uncertainty to the entire process of your biggest tournament of the year? Well,
0: I will say that so far, to my knowledge, things like this have not happened. So I think it's pretty easy to just have that full sense of security and maybe not be as careful as you would have like the first event that you ran on the platform or whatever. And I I think that probably more care should be dedicated towards this. But I also think that they're in a spot where they don't have to care.
1: That is true. No consequences, no incentives. They've very clearly mailed it in uh on this entire thing so and it's unfortunate because i know so many individuals involved have not mailed it in like yeah i'm not, I'm not trying to say like the people who are going to be casting this event don't care they absolutely care everyone wants to do a tremendous job everyone producing it wants to do a tremendous job it's just uh organizationally it is very clear where the priority lies at this point point. and i don't i don't think you can make a good faith argument that asserts anything else other than this is not a focus of what they are trying to accomplish
0: yeah, and we very easily could have had some sort of like tournament platform on Arena. I mean, if if they can even do like player V player draft pods or whatever, I'm pretty sure they could figure out how to implement how to play worlds through the software or on a beta server or something. Right. right. And right. I don't know, go back 20 years when they're running uh, the invitationals on Magic Online where you could like spectate and stuff like that. That was just a thing that obviously there are different programs, whatever, but like, you know, they they figured out a way to just like code that into magic online so that they could be able to do that because they wanted to do it. There were
1: plenty of things, that software from 20 years ago. I mean, maybe it's only 19 years, but still this ancient software, there was plenty of things that could do that current arena cannot do.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it's by choice, right? Because if they wanted some sort of, Tournament thing to launch with Arena, that would have been part of it from the get. But you, it, you assume not. so.
1: Yeah. You assume so.
0: So I, yeah, I think that that was just like never really part of the plan. I think Arena was supposed to be like the gateway drug,
1: right? Right. And then it became the focus of organized play uh somewhat through necessity, but also through. Yeah.
0: I, I don't think that they really had any control over that, right? Like if. I, I would have certainly made plans to be like, yeah, we're going to keep leaning into live play.
1: But. Yeah, uh, it's it's funny you see, you know, other esports stuff is sort of getting back to normal now. Uh, League of Legends Worlds ongoing in Iceland presently, and that's live. Uh, there is the Dota tournament. Uh, What is it called? The International, the biggest Dota tournament of the year going on. But uh, they, I think like a day after they announced the sale of arena seats for that, uh, canceled any crowd coming. They're just like, no, we're not doing this. However, the players are there. They're competing together. So it certainly seems like it's plausible that if you wanted to do something in person, you could have. But I, I guess I like I respect the decision not to. But also, there was no upside in doing it either it's It's not the same as these events where they draw these huge stadium crowds, and uh they're they're really apples to oranges in this case.
0: I think live play probably hits better for viewership than arena play, but again that's that's a thing that's not really their primary concern at the moment. Yeah. So if you don't yeah. care about viewership numbers, then yeah, don't spend like multiple thousands of dollars on plate is trying to get people here plus. It's not completely safe to do so. Right. And I don't know. I I think it's completely fine for them to just be like, yeah, play from home, even though obviously there's, you know, players from all over the world competing in this, like no time zone is like really fair for, for any one player or whatever, but it's just like, I, I would much rather have people stay home if they were able to then have them get on a flight for 20 hours and risk them coming down with COVID and all that stuff.
1: No, I, I agree with you. I, I do think it's a net positive.
0: So I, I think that aspect is fine, but I also think that if there were like good incentives for them to have it live, they probably wouldn't have. It, so
1: yeah, maybe
0: anyway, what else you got for me
1: on the no, topic that, of blame? Yeah, that's, that's about it for blame. I mean, like it, it's easy to siphon some of this off onto a third party and certainly like as far as the direct, action maybe it was the third party's fault in in the hands of melee but it, it just shouldn't have ever gotten to that point there's no reason they even need to be involved with an undertaking like this and it's like do your own work don't stand on the backs of other people creating these softwares for you because you are uh you know saving a dollar in your development that's what it comes down to right and it's like so much of the content ecosystem that magic has leveraged for the past 20 years is the exact same thing where you didn't really invest on your side in comparison to some of what, you know, other orgs do. And certainly there was a point where you did, but as time has gone on, they've drifted very far away from the, you know, daily MTG model and the stories on the website, all that stuff has basically bit it at this point. And they're just relying on like third party orgs to go ahead and make their money doing it. And, uh, I don't know, man. It's it's starting to feel to me like all of those ecosystems are are getting a little dry, a a little long in the tooth, and I'm worried about a lot of them at this point. You know, what would make me happy, which which almost certainly didn't happen, like you
0: know, hundred percent did not happen. But wizards is like, ah, sorry, melee. We're going with Macharino. And Melee's like, oh yeah. How about (laughs) we leak all your deck lists? (laughs) Like. They, they, they would know that it's way worse for the players than it is for Wizards, you know? Right. So they would never do that. But I, I think that it would be funny. It, it is, yeah, I mean, this is like the last tournament that they do with Melee, right? Or at least like close to it.
1: So. Yeah, that, that is all unclear, at least as far as I know. Uh, you know, there's obviously the Macherino stuff going on, which was a disaster the first time they tried to use it and they canceled the tournament before it even happened. So who knows where things stand now?
0: Good times. Good times. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, greek's Epiphany. Let's talk
1: about this. All right. So we spent a lot of time. I don't know if it was last week's cast, cast before that, basically begging people not to put black into these decks. You can, you can go back to week one of this format, where people were adding it to, like, the dragons list. And I was like, you're, you're just ruining these decks. There's no reason to do this. I don't think that's the case with this Grixis list. I think it's adding another wrinkle uh, that is very important to the game plan. And it's not just like, oh, I have Duress now. Because first of all, Duress is not that great in the matchup. It has holes. I mean, don't get me wrong. If I have access to black, I want to play it. Uh, But it has holes. This deck, though, is trying to do something a little bit different, uh, trying to have a multifaceted game plan and really have control of those late game scenarios. And the way it's doing that is a combination of adding black for tools like Duress, adding the Celestis. So getting some ramp into these builds, which is actually a move I like. Uh, you know, I think there was a moment where like green was probably an option and you can start thinking about uh, you know, playing a turn ahead of your opponent. There's a lot better way to do this. I'm telling you, we're going to get to that in a little bit when we look at another version of these decks. Um, But I like, in theory, the idea of ramp.
0: The ramp also goes well with Cyborg Cyclone Summoners for Mono Green, which
1: I like. Absolutely. I agree with that. And the big pickup here, I think, has to be Lear. I mean, I certainly have seen the power of Lear. I know there's some believers out there with me, the way it's just able to take over a late game. And in particular, my Lear decks got very good when it became a main deck duress format. And your late games were now just this horrible, horrible, uh, mass of value. And your opponent is just impotent to stop any of it. You take away any chance they have to interact with you. Uh, now, some of the ways the stock epiphany lists changed coming to this vet, this event, I think have challenged a lot of these principles. Uh, if you were just dealing with week one, is it epiphany? I, I love how this Grixis deck is set up against them. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. If if we start talking about what the Is It Epiphany decks look like in this tournament, though, I am less convinced that this is going to bear fruit. I think it's a good idea if like this ramp cyclone summoner stuff is good against mono green. That's a a really big pickup for the archetype, because it's, you know, leaning in Mono Green's favor, I would say. Not by a lot, but by enough that you wanted to find some new answers. And certainly like Lear into Max Fading Hope also does a lot to stem their aggression as well. I, I played that match a bunch on like the Demir Lear side and you, you can pull it out absolutely by leveraging uh, those type of interactions and just eventually having the inevitability. So I like this deck. And like I said, I think for like the expected list and the expected metagame, this was a really good choice. I just kind of think it got outplayed by another list.
0: So to be clear, when we were poo-pooing Grixis, In, you know, the Dragon's List specifically, but also in Epiphany, it was because players were doing things like playing Infernal Grasp instead of whatever two-mana burn spell you wanted to play. Right. So you're messing up your mana significantly in order to get a two-mana removal spell that kills slightly more things when the two-mana removal spells kind of, like, kill everything anyway. And, yeah, Duress against... That runs Epiphany decks. Like you said, if you are playing black, then sure, I will put it in my deck. But it is not like, oh, I splashed for this and now I win the matchup. Correct. And this list is kind of doing all of those things. Like they they have some duresses. There's a power word kill. But also they're keeping some of the red removal cognizant of the fact that they might not have black early on. Mm -hmm. Right. And... The rest combos very well with Lear. Lear combos very well with the Celestis. I I think that Celestis combos pretty well with the rest too, just like being able to ramp, play a follow-up spell, and also, you know, loot it away when it doesn't matter anymore.
1: Yep, great point. So
0: all of these things kind of combine to where it's like, oh, okay, this actually makes sense. That said, I was rebuilding this deck today where I was like, do you actually need the black? And I haven't gotten any, any chance to play games with it um, but it's like yeah I mean the, the power word kill stuff that is replaceable. Duress is the one thing where it works very well with Lear both like you know clears the way uh either pre-Lear or like potentially protects it afterwards or mm-hmm. you're like duressing their follow up you know. I think that that combination is very good but I'm not convinced that you necessarily need it.
1: Uh Yeah, I I am with you. I think you can accomplish most of these things without the third color. I also, I haven't played games with this list. I've played against it on Arena. I've watched my opponents sit there and not be able to cast their spells. Like the the addition of, of the Haunted Ridges and they have like three of them in play and they can't find a second blue source. I... It's real, and you also give up your field of ruins as well, which I think is a critical card in the format right now. Uh, you know, I saw some of the is it lists even start to get away from it, and I'm I'm not sure why. Uh, I just think it's so important. So there's there's a cost. All these changes, like, don't get me wrong. This is a really well-built, really well thought out way of moving to Grixis. This isn't the versions we saw a week ago that's just like I have duress now. What are you going to do about it? This is built by very good magic players that screams throughout all of the construction here. I just think it was a complicated situation when there is a simpler one available.
0: So 23 lands total, 13 blue sources, two drawy disruptions on top of that, and then three Celestis. That that's running a little light.
1: It feels light uh you know we have expressive iteration to make up some of that there's also spike field hazard so uh you know there's there's more lands available they do come into play tapped which is tough
0: yeah i was just talking about like blue mana in general yeah yeah, you were talking about not being
1: able to hit double blue they have three copies of memory delusion their deck yeah I, i don't think that should happen all that often like i don't expect that to be the mode but like will it happen once in a while sure it it seems plausible
0: yeah, I mean it's it's more likely, and this this came up with Mori's deck too because he only has two deserted beaches. Mm-hmm. I and where when I was playing the deck, I would have like triple island single planes, and I'm just like at first I was like, why are you playing more dual lands? I figured it out eventually. Why he's not. Okay. But but this deck is definitely going to have similar problems where instead of playing you know the snarls, which granted are not great, but like mm-hmm. you get to play them right that fixes your mana. You're going to have far less, far fewer instances where you have like RRRU or the inverse, you know, be, with this deck because you you don't have that extra blue red duel.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So there there are costs for these things that they have added, but I do think that uh, like ramp into Lear and you know Cyclone Summoner post board, but Lear with Fading Hope against Mono Green is a pretty good way to stabilize
1: it is it is I, I buy that as a plan and you know there's there's more hope more help coming in postboard games we're looking at uh some soul shatters power would kill mind flare in the mix i i actually don't love mind flare in these lists but it, it gets better again when you have access to dress. so this is like one card leading to another and i i sort of buy it as a viable option uh you know it, it'll depend a lot on how my opponent's sideboard what the field actually is, but I could see Mind Flayer being solid in this tournament. One addition I really like is the go blanks in the sideboard. Uh, I, I think that's a really smart way to control your opponent's card quantity as well as their graveyard, which in these really long games can be very important. I, again, if I was just like playing a stupid splash for black, I'm not sure three duresses and two go blank do anything. But when I'm a Lear deck, I buy this as a viable plan to go long.
0: It's funny, though, because it's like both of those cards are pretty good when, you know, they're they're the classic list. Right.
1: Mm hmm. But
0: less good now.
1: The less good now. I I agree with you.
0: So wh- whose list is your favorite? Uh, oh, well, I think. Oh, um, out, of, out of is it? Out of is it?
1: Yeah. So I think Sifka, uh, Hush and Beth and. Uh, Straski have very similar lists. I believe they work together. I don't know if they're card for card the same, but they are very, very close to each other.
0: Uh, I, I think Arno was like down a Demon Bolt up something else, you know, okay. like I, I noticed
1: like some small differences. Okay. Um, but yeah, that that's the list. Yeah. And I see uh, a Windfall less in that list as well. So, yeah. But something like that is the list that I think is, Absolutely over the moon. Fantastic. And I'll, I'll, I've i been playing mostly with Strosky's list, so I'm going to bring that up and we can talk about uh, the specifics there, because this is the list that I think is just so, so good. Uh, the key here, the key change for Galvanic iteration, more Galvanic iterations than expressive iteration in the Izzet deck. Who saw that coming? Other key... For unexpected windfall. And if you remember, when this card came out, I was very high on it. I thought it could do a lot of things. I posted about it on Twitter, and everyone made fun of me.
0: Except for Sam Black.
1: Sam Except Black, Sam yeah. Black uh-huh. was there like, you know, three days before you or whatever. You are correct. He was writing about it in his article. Yep. Uh yeah. And you know, this card didn't do anything. So people were initially proven right. Play it in this deck, though, and tell me if you believe this is a real constructed card, because the scenarios you It can is set now. Up, it yeah, is now. It absolutely is. The scenarios you set up with your Galvanic iteration turns with unexpected windfall, and you just untap with a full grip and all the mana you could ever want, uh, completely backbreaking, to say nothing of the fact that you're just maxing your iterations. And it's a weird combination to make, or a weird comparison to make, look galvanic iteration being maxed in this list is kind of like leer in the other list where you're just able to get all these two for once and the way you keep up with things like green in the early game is by having those double spell turns with demon bolt in the list you have the ability to foretell on turn two uh iteration demon bolt on turn three that is huge huge catch-up potential and then your iteration with fading hope too with fading Fading hope yep absolutely absolutely and I think playing those games against green changes how this deck can play. Uh, And as far as your, how you're playing against the quote unquote mirror, you have this unexpected windfall plan, which gives you a tremendous mana edge at almost no investment whatsoever. There's also really good sideboard plans here with like goldspan dragon egg and hermit on the sideboard. So if you want to go creature heavy, you are able to do that. Uh, Main decking a couple of tests of talents. I think that is more of a call out to like, we have our matchups figured out and we can actually bear to play something like Test of Talents because they're so good in so many spots.
0: Right. Which is funny too, because it's like way worse against Grixis because of the presence of Lear and like mm-hmm. Duress too, I guess. But for actual mirror matches, I, I think that I, there's no deck that I would want to play against less than something with this setup, right? Like yes. max iteration, the windfalls, you're just going to be outmaneuvered every game you're they're going to have like all the flashback cards and you're just going to get buried every single time and they have tests on top
1: yeah i mean if you if you play with this deck any amount i think it's clear that this is like the move forward and i started seeing unexpected windfalls creeping uh a little bit over the last two weeks and i was just like Same. yeah i think i think you can go really hard on this card and get paid i never went as far as for a galvanic iteration and as soon as i saw it i was just like yep that, that's it this is how you do it and now you're set up to play totally different game plans and your postboard games with goldspan dragon and these cards in the mix can get so silly where you just have these ludicrous like 14 mana turns on turn you know six or seven where you've essentially doubled your mana and you can just play through anything at that point if you have access to enough mana this deck can play through anything and now you have it
0: Yeah, I I would have not thought to max on iteration, but now with Fading Hope and Demon Bolt in the mix, it actually just makes a lot of sense. Like, it's just good at playing both ways, right? It's going to copy a one-mana removal spell on turn three, or, you know, you discard it to the first Windfall or whatever, and then you start copying them and just bury your opponent. So,
1: yeah, four copies makes a ton of sense in this list. I agree. And just having that like disposable resource that comes back has been so beneficial as well. Um, And yes, like the windfalls do work the way you want them to. You only discard once because it is a cost when you cast the spell. So for your one card investment, you're getting returned for, I guess it's a two card investment, but not really because iteration just sits in your graveyard ready to do its thing. I mean, like, I don't want to say anything silly. We we know the problem card here. The problem card is Alvin's Epiphany. But Galvanic Iteration can be a messed up magic cards in a lot of scenarios. And I, it's not going to do anything quite as asinine as adding an extra turn to the battlefield. But I don't think if we're, even if we're done with Alvin's Epiphany, I don't think we're done with Galvanic Iteration.
0: Yeah, maybe not. Because, I mean, say Epiphany goes away or whatever. It's like, this deck is still pretty good at dealing with the battlefield, pretty good Mm -hmm. at drawing cards and making mana. It's like, you can figure out a way to win. Maybe it's not as clean
1: as Epiphany, but maybe you're just doing like Goldspan Dragon stuff and who cares, you know? Could be. Uh, Yeah, I I think that is also, (laughs) I'm trying to stay away from the topic. It's an infinitely more interesting deck. And like, I want to play against that deck and build that deck and work on that deck and see where it ends up. Uh, I, I don't want to do anything else with this deck. I, I have had it. Uh, this is a fine final form and I am, if this is the last time we see his Epiphany, I am completely okay with that.
0: So I guess for comparison, Strosky's list has 14 blue sources and three disruptions. So they're like two blue sources on top of the, uh, the Grixis deck, but no Celestis. Mm-hmm. So I guess they're kind of light too.
1: Fair enough. Uh, so they could face the same problems. Uh, Field of Ruin also like a little bit of fixing in a bunch yeah, of scenarios. Yeah, so. that's true. I wasn't counting those. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how hard you actually want to count them. But uh, also the other difference here is, I, I am correct that the Grixis list does not have divide by zero. Correct. Right? Yeah, so you're able to divide by zero for your environmental sciences here.
0: Yes. Uh, that was one of the things that. I wanted to do by rebuilding the Lear deck as just Blue Red is I wanted to have Lear and divide by divide zero. Divide by zero.
1: Sure. Deck. I mean, that's how I found Lear. And that's yeah, what really, I know. really brought me in that direction. And it that was the first card I was looking for when I looked at the list and it was a little shocking. It wasn't there. I, I get it. Like I said, I think the list is well built. I'm not really criticizing that decision, but you're right that maybe looking at an is it version that goes back to divide by zero could could yield some fruit.
0: Divide's clunky, especially alongside Celestis. You know, you just have a bunch of things to do on turn three. Mm-hmm. But Celestis also likes having things that just give you extra cardboard to work with. True. So even if you're, like, looting away all of your lessons or whatever with Celestis, I still think that that's fine. And that's that's an interaction worth looking into.
1: Yeah, that's interesting.
0: And it also, like, all of this stuff made me want to go back and look at your original list because like a lot of the things that are happening now are things that you were high on from the kick
1: Don't, don't make me toot my own horn. I, I am just going to say it. I feel like I've been on the pulse of this format, even like, like none of these decks are mine. I'm not trying to say they even are derived from what I've been doing, but I just like found the PowerPoints very early. Right. Uh, and it feels like I I did a good job assessing what would happen post rotation and what cards would really matter.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, you're you're mostly like oh i want to explore this idea and then maybe push it as far as you can go and then give up before you tune it and you're on to the next thing right right
1: now yeah. also to shoot me down a little bit if you if you push forward every idea then at some point you're gonna stumble on the good ones right so true, there's certainly some of that going on true but i don't know things like
0: leer were showing up in like multiple deck lists it wasn't like here's 50 deck lists one of them is a leer deck right you're like here are all these different iterations, and yeah, I don't know. You sent me like a blue red list without leer, and I was like, "Why? Why doesn't your deck have leer in it?" You
1: know? Who knows? Who knows where my head was at at that point? We had moved on.
0: Uh you were you were delvering, right? I remember the poppet was there. You got me to craft the poppet.
1: Yeah, I I think I actually had no delver. It was like a very tempo we set Yeah, you were, no you, were you
0: were fake delver, right?
1: Yeah, like werewolfing, evasion werewolfing.
0: Yeah, so. Uh, tournament has four Grixis decks, four Is it Epiphany decks, one Is it Dragons, three Monogreen agoras. I don't know how much you want to talk about this.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I guess I will just say that I like Seth's, Seth's list the best. Um, a lot of these decks went to Sculptor of Winter as time went on. I'm seeing more and more of that. I just think Lotus Cobra is better. Like the, the fact that you can attack on turn three, it, it matters a lot in this format where you're really trying to get every point in against these it decks. Or and... or you crew
0: with it also. Correct. You, you, you crew and make mana.
1: Yep. Great point. Scul- uh, the
0: sculptor does give you another snow permanent, which I think lets you play more layers if you want to do. And it works with old growth troll, but I, I don't know how much those things actually matter. I guess yeah. like you know old growth troll plus sculptor plus inscription or whatever you know you get to do like a lot of big things but
1: yeah so uh in the four sculptor list like pv's list there's there's zero layers right it's 19 forests, for haven so not taking advantage of that side of things um and yeah i i mean like i don't think there's a dramatic mistake being made here it's just there isn't a lot of point of differentiation between these lists that's the one that really stood out to me i prefer lotus cobra uh over sculptor of winter Th- seth's got three ren and seven so going a little bit harder on that side of things it's just closer to like the list i've played the list i've been happy with i don't think the other mono green aggro lists in the tournament are failures or anything like that uh some interesting sideboard cards that have started showing up there's things like tajuru Blightblade, which is just stupid one one death Dutch, uh i could see that mattering a bunch in the mirror seth has a sideboard a shia soul of the wild and i saw that and i was like what are, what are we doing here i, I don't know I, I haven't figured that one out yet and i'm curious if we'll see that pay any dividends uh, i know pv was playing like frog emoth in the the large creature slot which i was happy with uh as far as the um presence of the enchantment the unnatural growths Seth has one in the main deck, and that's it. No more anywhere else. Uh, PV has none anywhere. So that has kind of fallen out of favor, it looks like. And I, I, I knew think it. correctly so. Yeah, I think correctly so. I, I don't mind Seth's one either, though. Like, I think that's a, probably a better application of that card than maxing. You know, playing four of them always seems ridiculous to me. So uh, I'm fine with the way he has built the deck. It's just interesting to see that card kind of trail off as we got to the world championship list.
0: I love the Tageru Blight Blades, They're mm-hmm. basically like Typhoid Rats, right? Yeah,
1: a little Death Touch action.
0: And I don't know. I guess you know you weren't at a ton of the Invitational's or whatever, but there were there were so many Invitational's where I'm working with someone and I'm just like, all right, I kind of need something to to fix this very slight problem to make my deck perfect or whatever, and. For one of the invitationals, it was like, oh, I want like another cheap removal spell against mono blue devotion with my mono black devotion deck. And I ended up settling on Typhoid Rats. So me and Josh Cho both played at Typhoid Rats in our sideboard. And my my tournament did not last very long, but it wasn't the Typhoid Rats fault. I assure
1: you. Yeah, and, don't and, blame the rats. That's yeah. Not fair.
0: And I don't know. It's like, I I definitely still own that copy of Typhoid Rats. I know exactly where it is.
1: Good. It it means a lot to you, your favorite rats.
0: Well, it's like my favorite slash least favorite. Okay. Really hot, cold relationship, you know?
1: I understand. It's tough with rats sometimes.
0: Well, like, yeah, it's, you know, Josh would like give me a bunch of shit for it. And I'm I'm pretty sure he's forgotten at this point. I don't know. Maybe I'll ask him at some point if he remembers the Typhoid Rats.
1: He does have a good memory. Oh, God. Uh, the danger in reminding Joe something like that is that he might just needle you with it for like the next ten months, and you're stuck with those consequences. That is
0: definitely true, but I also don't think that I was wrong. I didn't, like obviously Mono Blue, you know, had like some evasive creatures and stuff. It wasn't perfect, but mm. I, I think it was still fine. And for for Mono Green specifically, like you, you just don't have any one mana cards. Like the games. Right. The games where you draw Blizzard Brawl compared to the ones where you draw like Inscription are just so much different a lot of the time. And having a one mana card just you know helps you double spell quicker than your opponent. And it's it's a matchup all about fights. Granted, you know Blizzard Brawl does get around it, but like if they have to brawl your one mana card, that's awesome for you anyway. Right. So yeah,
1: you've it, definitely come out ahead there.
0: Yeah, card just seems great. Like if you do expect a lot of mirror matches, this is probably one of the better cards that you can have. I don't think that you can play. Like the full four or whatever, just because you draw multiples and your draw's kind of anemic. But having two like Paulo has, I really like it, actually.
1: Yeah, I can see it paying big dividends when the mirror match comes around.
0: Anyway, that's my that's my TED talk on typhoid rats. Well said. Uh Yoshiku Akawa. Uh not na see now I can't even remember his name. Uh Yuki Ichikawa. Yeah, Yuki yes. Ichikawa. Yes. Uh Sarah twenty twenty. Is <laughs> like what what popped into my head. Uh, yeah, mono white aggro.
1: I, I like this deck a lot. I, I've actually been playing a bunch of mono white aggro. Um, my my read on Stonebinders Familiar when I first saw it was very bad. This card is actually nice in this deck, uh, only because we're playing Sungold Sentinel. But Sungold Sentinel is a card that I've been high on for a while. I think it is the answer for these bogged down battlefields against things like, you know, Ren and Seven Chariot going off. This is how you can find your last points is relying on Sun Gold Sentinel. And you do a little bit to control the graveyard uh, against the Lear deck. I imagine this might come up a little bit and it's just a good body. You know, 3-2 body is nothing to sneeze at. So I like Sun Gold Sentinel a lot Uh, as far as the other stuff going on here. I mean, no real notes. This is sort of what you would expect this deck to look like at this point. Disruption from Redane and Spellbinder, all fine. Uh, yeah, I like Cyborg Guardian of Faith. Like, that's been a solid plan. I, I have found plenty of wins on the mono-white side against the Izzet decks. Uh, are they going to dry up against this new version of Izzet? Time will tell. Uh, I am not super. I am not super high on white's chances in this tournament but I am also happy to be wrong because I, I do like this archetype a bunch. I just think it was it's harder for this deck to succeed once everyone knows about it. And I have to assume that players here were prepared for mono-white aggro and have definitely vetted this matchup.
0: Well, Typhoid Rat's not that bad here either.
1: Yeah, yeah. Doing a little blocking against things like uh, Adeline, which very, very powerful card, by the way. I've been impressed with that from day one. So
0: Yeah, my first read of this card was that... Uh, it only triggered when it attacked.
1: Nope. It nope, is, it is ready.
0: much better than that.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. so I definitely like this card a lot. And then that made me think a lot higher of these white aggro decks. And then, uh, I think luminarc warden, whatever the one drop is it like has ward and disturbance. It's mm-hmm. like very, very medium, right? Like yeah. I was, I was trying these white aggro decks and had that. And I was just like, there's gotta be something better. And then
1: I looked and, I definitely just glossed over Stonebinders. Same, same. I-, I thought it only was a plus one, plus one. I didn't realize it was a counter. And then as soon as I got a counter and I'm like, oh, this card's actually very, very good. Why did I not know about this previously?
0: Yeah, so uh, a few good, like, finds technology-wise and tightening of the lists and everything. And uh, this deck is starting to look much better in my eyes. I yep. still don't really see a reason to play something like
1: this over mono green. I I think it's got a good mono green matchup. I don't know that I'd go as far as like super favored, but I do think it leans slightly in mono white's direction. Now, does it do so as Yoshihiko Akawa's list is built right now? That I'm not so sure about because this list seems very teched out to account for is it epiphany specifically yeah all the, like, ap- all the apparitions and cathars are in the sideboard right and if you want to be strong against green that's what you want now you have access to them and i, I do think like you you're not dead in game ones without it you can certainly play the game and you know elite spellbinder has good targets in ren and a chariot and those more expensive cards that are in mono green so it's not like it's just dead but certainly the setup where you're cathar apparition you're way better off against the mono green deck
0: yep uh, Jean Emmanuel de Pra with a uh, little teamer deck. This is, I think, the only, yeah, it's the only Jasper Sentinel Magna deck in the entire field, which I think kind of makes sense. Uh, I liked those setups a lot and then kept getting beaten up by Werewolf Pack Leader. Mm-hmm. And was just like, okay, maybe you just, you can't do it. You need to do things that actually like play to the board a lot earlier and have things that are capable of blocking and stuff like that. So it is interesting to me that he settled on this list and I don't know it, it is it is interesting like Dragon's Fire with Moonvale Regent some main deck negates but other than that you know the usual suspects chariot goldspan etc
1: yeah so here's where I will give this deck some credit Jaspera Sentinel Magda as you mentioned, can get outscaled pretty hard. And it was really problematic when these things were just getting picked off left and right uh, by the Izzet decks. If you look at the removal suite that's now present in something like Stroski's deck, it's not as good against the Jesper Sentinel Magda setups. It used to be a lot of like, uh, you know, Frostbites or right. uh, Slay. What is it? Slay with fire? Fight with fire? Play with fire. Play with fire. So close. Uh, yeah, it used to be a lot more of that type of stuff. Now we're talking demon bolts and, you know, a few spike field ha- hazards, which don't line up against just sentinel. So I, th- I think these creatures should survive far more often. It's just a question of are these bodies that it's going to put into play? Are they going to matter? And I think a lot of them don't like something like reckless storm secret, powerful card, but you're just going to find yourself needing a defensive option. So maybe if there was something like, uh, like a, a briarwood tracker in this slot you might turn my attention a little bit because I, I just don't think you're going to be able to play the aggro stuff in a lot of spots uh but that being said like if you want to challenge the is it decks you kind of need to have this haste threat so i i think this deck is trying to deal with a lot of problems at once theoretically i like the setup that jean emmanuel depra found i I just don't know. I don't know how it's going to play out. I, I think the sizing issue against Mono Green is the one I'm worried about. Uh, and I don't know how this deck is going to hold up against the newer versions of, is it, I will say, I think it's probably got a better matchup than it did against the older versions. So,
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Like Prosperous Innkeeper, I think will help you against Mono White, not necessarily against Mono Green, mm-hmm. but all the treasure setup. You know, yeah, your your creatures are going to live, you're going to be able to develop your mana, you're going to be able to play out a threat, and then hopefully have a counterspell open, right? Which is kind of where you want to be, because you're you're right that they're pretty light on things that actually kill things, right? It's like a bunch of fading hopes in all the lists, just yep. to bounce a turn two pack leader. And now that's, that's going
1: to be strong against things like Moon Val region, don't get me wrong, but still
0: yes yeah i definitely agree with that but like you're going to be able to get to a point where you're deploying a threat and have extra mana open and you know counter burn down the house or whatever and then maybe be able to win that way so i i could see that as a possible plan i just wish that it meant that you were also very good against mono green or something
1: right yeah also i'll point out like the theoretical plan sounds fine Uh, there's only four counter spells in this deck though, right? Yeah, there's not a lot. So you got to have it when it matters and you're only doing it once. Like you find the right spell to counter and then you got to run with it. And maybe that's why something like Reckless Stormseeker, you just need that outpouring of damage so quickly. Um, But I mean, if your Sentinel and your Magda are surviving, maybe it's Goldspan Dragon on turn three instead and and not Stormseeker. And that I believe can carry you to a lot of Ws. Yes,
0: definitely true. Uh, last deck, I believe. Think so. Noriyuki Mori. Uh, Mori, I first recognized as the the person who played is control,
1: mm-hmm. which
0: basically just I, I think was just the best deck last season, like towards the end. And initially, like showed up at uh, one of the S C G Tour online events and have been like kind of following his name ever since and then just like towards the end it's like oh yeah like all of the pros are like playing his his is a control deck which was it's it's like the best feeling as a deck builder right so i hope that you know he he understands like how much credit people are giving him at this point for his deck building prowess and how much of an honor it is for him to like i don't know just kind of like brew up a deck and just have it be incredible and have everyone just like realize that and want to play it and use it to good results and everything. so like
1: just i'm I'm super happy for him and his success basically agreed and uh he also had an awesome response i i tweeted out that if i was choosing based on uh decks i would i would pick andre strowski to win worlds if i was choosing based on my heart i was going to pick Noriyuki Mori and he tweeted at me he said follow your heart for now and then you'll be able to choose the best deck at the end too so <laughs> a, lot of co- a lot of confidence okay in this I like world. it I like it um and, and like i said i i very much dabbled in exactly what this deck is trying to do and i i have to find the tweet to see how close i was because i don't remember now but all this elite spellbinder uh intrepid adversary blue adversary malevolent hermit i don't think i had luminarch aspirin because i just never do i don't i don't know why i like that card but i always exclude it from all yeah my lists.
0: i do too after playing with the deck like it's it's still pretty good despite you not going super wide. Obviously like it takes a few turns to actually get going and make an impact. But yeah. if, if you're playing it as just like two mana, hopefully this becomes a four, four. I think that's fine. And that, that fits what the deck is trying to do.
1: Sure. That makes sense to me. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure if I had Verdane either. It might've been, Oh, I definitely did in the sideboard for sure. Uh, but anyway, enough about my garbage deck and more about this good deck. I, I think you're certainly set up awesome Against is it? Like that's what you're trying to target here. Bunch of open mana. You have concerted defense to be able to mess with their key spells. You're only doing a little messing, right? It's concerted defense, Jawari disruption, and then you can get uh, you know, a little bit more help in post-board game with some more malevolent hermit, but there's there's enough. There's enough to just keep your opponent off their feet keep them from doing exactly what they want to do on a key turn and then find that win and that's what these decks are always trying to do and in my experience this kind of setup can do it be it piecing together lethal with like your spectral adversaries or using them to dodge a key removal spell and just cobbling together these battlefields that are literally just enough they do just enough to get you over the edge I don't know if you can do that against mono green with this setup. That is what I'm worried about. Now there's only three mono green deck lists in the field. And if you told me that Maury's favorite against everyone else, I, I don't think I'd really be surprised by that statement. That seems completely reasonable to me. And maybe once you go to the sideboard and you grab your portable hole and your brutal cathars and uh, you know, whatever else Maury wants to do as a sideboard plan, probably some Fateful absence coming into the mix as well. Maybe even the Albertans epiphany and you just kind of tempo them out that way. That seems like a pretty reasonable plan to me. And maybe, maybe you get that matchup tight enough in games two and three where you can pull it out, or maybe he's just ahead and cracked it. I have no idea. That is my point of concern right now is the mono green matchup. If that matchup's good, this deck looks incredibly well set up. So I'm super interested to hear what your experience was like.
0: So was playing mono white with no Cathars or Apparitions main deck. Mori only has the single Cathar main deck. Mm-hmm. Given that, I think both players probably assumed that there wasn't going to be a ton of mono green. And, you know, for the most part, they're right. You know, there's there's three copies, which is, I guess, like the second most played deck.
1: Yeah. So, but yeah. yeah Weird with a small field, right?
0: There's there's not a lot of it. And I think that you knew that you were going to have to do a lot to beat it, And so they're just like, yeah, I'll, I'll skimp on cathar. Obviously, it's just not that good of a card against them and try and make up for it in other ways against Mono Green. Maybe that's like winning the post board games. Who knows? But given the way that Mori's deck is built, he has 16 blue sources, 14 white sources, two Jawari disruption. Is Do you think that that's strange? Do you think that this is like a blue deck first or a white deck first? Because... You need the white mana to get on the board early, right?
1: Yeah. Here's, I, again, like I, I don't want to draw too much on my experience with a similar but not the same deck, but I will say in my experience, white was so critical because the way he won games, it, it just had to be a big intrepid adversary. Like that's the, just the end state over and over and over. And if you were short on, you know, your third white source on turn six that could be the difference between winning the game and losing the game and i think you see that even with like the devotion to loyal warhound like it's so critical that this deck puts its white sources together so it's it's weird i i will give you it's weird uh certainly like cave of the frost dragon is the better creature land for this deck as well i, I think i agree with the way the mana base is distributed i i, I think it's correct what about two deserted beach Okay, let's think about it. So, this is allowing essentially. I I would assume that those two deserted beach would have to replace planes, and that is making it less likely that that you are because otherwise, there's no way you're going to be able to cast your your heavy blue spells in the late game. Like you have multiple spots where you need double blue.
0: But so if you're adding if you're adding beach. And replacing an island, that's the same thing, though.
1: You still as have far the, as total blue. You still have the same amount of blue sources. All right, you're, you're going to have to enlighten me. I feel, like, I feel like you have this figured out, and it, I must be missing something.
0: I guarantee, I guarantee 100%, he's skewing blue and cutting on beach so that he can use Fading Hope when he's on the draw against Mono Green to steal back the play.
1: Interesting. 100%. Interesting. So just turn one, Fading Hope, is that critical? Yes.
0: Because wow. because they lack one drops, and I mean, so do you, sort of. Like, you have you have hope and defense, right? But you're not actually playing anything on turn one. Right. And it's just like they, they play Ranger Class or Pack Leader or their mana creature or whatever. And bounce you, you player just, two drop. Yeah, bounce player two drop, and... Now, now you're kind of ahead, right? Like if they have exactly blizzard brawl, they can get back into it potentially, but they also like need to not have Lair of the hydra and all these other things. But I honestly think that that is a hundred percent.
1: That's super interesting.
0: And I Uh, love it. I think, I think it's actually really, really smart.
1: Well, now I'm going to have to watch these games and see how that plays out. Uh, I mean, you got to have some plan, right? And if that's the way you're catching up and, you know, when you mention things like Lair of the Hydra messing with your mana and if you have Blizzard Brawl, you can catch up, but it sort of depends on like you kind of need perfects in that scenario, yeah, right? exactly.
0: Whereas all Mori needs is Blue Source, two, or Blue Source, Fading Hope, and a 2-drop, which he has plenty of all of them.
1: This also makes a case for that Hall of Storm Giants, which I think is just a, a much worse creature land. And is, if you start to look at it as, oh, I just want another untapped blue on turn one, it starts to make a lot more sense. Yeah,
0: because you can't really play like four cave, no haul, 10 island, because then you can't necessarily play like a blue two drop on turn two without mm-hmm. getting messed up by your multiple caves. And I don't know, having, having the split was fine. Like I definitely caved some people and I, and I hauled some people. So they, they both did work.
1: Well, this is fascinating. Uh, so that cracked... Ooh, how do you see this deck faring in this tournament? Did, did Mori do it? Is this something that could actually like change the whole metagame and uh, set this tournament on its ear? I think this deck is very, very poor against like random stuff. Like any aggressive
0: deck with one drop creatures is just going to be a heinous matchup. So I think that he is just, you know, shooting for the stars in this tournament with this deck because he just expected to be all, is it in mono green? and i think for those two specific matchups is it he's good against and you know the new lists are obviously like a little bit different than probably what he prepared against mm-hmm. and mono green i don't think is a lock like if he's a favorite he's a slight favorite but i think the the fading hope stuff and altering the mana base slightly like cramming in as much untapped blue as he possibly could while still being able to cast his spells just for fading hope i think is Really, really smart and does a lot of work for him.
1: I can't wait to watch this deck do its thing. Uh, it, it seems like it, it is the story of the tournament before the tournament starts. I hope it delivers as we actually get into the tournament. Of course, split format tournament. So, you know, right. a, a poor draft could derail this entire narrative and we want to get to see the chance of this deck delivering. I am very hopeful that's not the case. I am, like I said, rooting above all for Noriyuki Mori in this tournament.
0: Yeah, I want to too. It's it's just so weird because the overall power level of the deck is pretty low, and is this power level is high? Mono green's power level is high, and if you mulligan or if your mana is kind of weird or if you you know like miss your three drop or whatever, it's just everything just gets away from you so quickly. Right, and. That I think is the biggest problem for this deck. And then it's also just like, well, I drew Concerted Defense and they just never drew Chariot or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or they were smart enough to have Chariot be the last thing they deployed. And people are cutting Ren and Seven from their decks for uh, Goldspan Dragon or cheaper spells, which I, I think is correct, right? Like, you know, you don't necessarily need that in the mono green Mirror. You certainly don't really want it against it. And he has a lot of things that are just like very small things, but they're working against him. Hmm. and i I think I think the fading hope thing is correct, right? Like you you see it now, right? Like there's no way yep. that his deck is built this way without yep. that being the case because yeah, it makes sense. There's no reason not to play four deserted beaches otherwise because you have no one drops yourself. so yeah. i i it would be such a shame if if he did poorly, especially in constructed. like like you said, obviously the drafts could go bad or whatever. but I think that his deck is so well-built, and his call is so good, and I just wanted to see him crush everyone.
1: Hopefully that's what we're talking about when we come back next week and uh, breaking down the aftermath of Worlds. Well, that and the bands, of course, will be the other thing like, uh, i love we'll to talk about. C- come on, man. What?
0: I don't know. Like, I was willing to talk about, like, oh, would this be better for the format if it did get banned, you know? I don't think that they'll be, like, snap banning a thing on Monday after Worlds. Like, that's just kind of ridiculous.
1: I don't know, man. I I think that you had to wait for Worlds. I think that there is a clear problem where this format will stagnate around these ideas. I think that it is unanswerable going long because of the nature of the cards, which are forcing this stagnation. And if you just want to play uh, another year of mono aggro versus <laughs> stupid uh is it epiphany and then occasionally a deck splashes a contr- uh negate into its like two color mana base and right. end up with Teemer or you know something like azorius aggro then so be it but ultimately like these are still just the aggro deck splashing for our, this other form of disruption and there's, there's got to be a middle ground in this format. You have to unlock that. Otherwise, you lose so much of the card pool. And I think there's too much at stake in this moment for the future of not only standard, but competitive magic as a whole. Like You need people to buy into wanting to participate. And all of the people, you and I talk to them literally every day, all of the people who have left because they lost interest, your chance to get them back was at rotation. The cost of inaction is that those people stay away forever and maybe more join them. The cost of action is just the same thing you did for the past year. And you're, you're banning again. Is it great? No, it's not great. And, but if you didn't break their back with the last bands, you're not going to do it with these ones either. I'm sorry. That's just, this isn't going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's it's those people are gone. They've already left.
0: Yeah. I think that the people who are engaged now and are playing now some amount of it is shiny new toy from
1: rotation, but you probably also lost a lot of those people. Uh-huh. And my it, play is trending down. Yeah, I I was playing tons. And, uh, you know, this week I've been like, eh, I'll play a game here and there. I want to check out this list. But ultimately, I have other things I'd rather do.
0: Yeah, but the, the people who are around now are just lifers and <laughs> they're not going anywhere. Yep. And yeah, if, if the format stinks and you decide it stinks, then banning, I think, is just a net good. And we can kind of just ignore whatever the cost of banning a card is, like the 10th time you do it in in two years.
1: Yeah, you've changed the discourse. Like, it's just completely different than it was two years ago. People expect it at this point. Ship has
0: sailed. Yep. So you have the chance to get people back. The thing that I keep thinking about is, do you, even if you think the format is fine now, do you think that you're going to have to ban it at some point? Because if so, I think sooner, the the sooner, the better. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I just don't see how you could not. I mean, especially as we get to like more and more focus on fork effects. uh, It just the problem just gets worse and worse. And like ending the game in that fashion doesn't serve anyone. So. So I
0: I look at it this way, too, where the format right now is, is it an aggro? And if you get rid of Epiphany, then at least we have some black decks. Yeah. And maybe we have like some control
1: decks. It's like, boom, format yeah. format got twice as big, y'all. I, I agree. If, if it wasn't such a simple and like clear move and like the next steps also so clear, because we've played those black decks. They're good. They're good decks. They just don't, they don't bear out against what the format is presently about. And there's all kinds of fringe strategies that will be unlocked. And if there was just something, that was going to be the next thing up. That's what we faced all through the last band season. It's like, okay, they did this. Now this is here. Okay, they did this. These other six cards are still present. And it was clear every time. That's not the case right now. So I I just think you have a unique opportunity. Don't waste it. That's where I fall.
0: Yeah, I mean, I do want to see the results of the tournament. Not that I think that, you
1: know, small events with... What Have. could happen that really changes the narrative? Like sort of Mori winning is the only it's, thing that I think we'll see the problem with
0: Mori is like that probably gives people a false sense of hope where, yeah, maybe his deck is good against, is it? but it I, I played it on ladder for like a day and a half, and it is really bad against random stuff, ok? And obviously, you can fix that to some degree, right? But, it is hard targeting, is it? Yeah, it better be good against, is it? Right. So I, I think it's entirely possible that, like, yeah, even if Mori wins and he beats like ten Is it players or whatever, people are going to pick up the deck and like just lose with it because right. they're not necessarily playing against all Is it decks, and then the format probably just goes back to what it was
1: until there's like some big tournament. And then, yeah, maybe you can bet a game or something. Now, th- this is my point is that I just don't think there is a result that actually changes the core problem. So.
0: I, I want to see how the games play out is, okay. is basically it. It's not like, Oh, is it going to win? Is it not going to top four whatever? But it's just like, does it appear to me that, you know, teamer mono white to some extent, more deck, right? Like, do they have the tools to actually beat these decks or do they actually look like it's just smooth sailing? because I think that is going to inform a lot because a lot of it too, is going off of data for like new format in smaller tournaments with like amateur players whose decks aren't tuned and they're not playing the matchups well. This is some of the best players in the world. They have practiced like exclusively for this tournament for a week or two. They're going to know how to play their decks. Now they even have like four extra days to like test their matchups. Right. It's like, this is going to be like true good sample size. It's going to be small sample size,
1: but it's going to be true. Meaningful data.
0: Yes, exactly. Meaningful but small. So, yeah, if, if, there, if there's a bunch of games of Grixis against Mono Green and Mono Green gets crushed by all of them, it's like, well, there's probably something here. It's not a lock, but this is closer to the true matchup than just taking data from like three SCG tournaments and aggregating them.
1: Yeah. For my side, I don't care about the data. My my mind's made up. I mean, maybe that's like a stubborn approach to take, but I I see what I see in this metagame. I don't believe there's an answer. Uh, And I am hopeful we get a change, and I will just leave it at that.
0: Yeah, either way, it looks pretty bad right now.
1: Yep. So,
0: well, we will see. I... Yeah, maybe they have some some data where they were like planning on banging anyway and wanted to wait for worlds or whatever i still don't think that immediately following a 16 player event that is half constructed means that they just like snap it after that i don't care what the win rate is like it is a small sample size um so I, i think that they would wait but that's that's just my prediction
1: i just don't i don't want crimson bow spoils spoiler season to get buried Because it it will, like we did this through.
0: That's true too, yeah. So, I mean, that's an argument against though, right, too, is that a new set is coming out, a new big set? So that's,
1: I think that's the default argument. I I really only wanted to talk about this for like two seconds and then we would end the show, but you've sucked me into talking about all these points. I think the default argument is there's a new set coming, why not wait and see what it can do? Unfortunately, if the answer is nothing, and this is the thing I keep coming back to, tell me what the card looks like that fixes this problem. Like, what is it? I, I I don't have a card where I actually think it it matters. Even if you just give me freedom to like design one, short of saying and Epiphany can't be played. Like there, there's no historical effect that I would call back to that I no, think would do a good job of addressing the way this format is shaped.
0: No, it's a general strategy type of thing. Like maybe it's a new archetype. Maybe there is some sort of tempo deck or whatever that is just inherently good against it. It's not it's not going to be a specific card, right? Because you like Curse of Silence, their epiphanies, and
1: they just beat you with Leer or Smoldering Egg or whatever. Right. So you're chasing it on power level. And this thing is so obscenely powerful and especially its power level in comparison to everything else that already exists in the format like it is clear this is an outlier especially when you get to the point where you're talking about the DD set where you're talking about strixhaven where you're talking about uh, i would say less so innistrad but especially those two sets these cards look like real power outliers when you compare them against that so
0: (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's funny like you you compare this to like Starnheim Unleash, right? Like they're both right. for Tell Mythics. They're both like this big splashy top end. And I think that this one is even generous where it like gives you some birds or whatever. And I, yeah, I just, I think that they probably equate those cards as the same thing where it's like, oh, a bunch of angels will kill people or like Time Walk plus a couple birds will kill people. And it's like, no, obviously this one just like breaks the rules of the game. The other one is just a pile of crappy creatures.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so that. <laughs> that problem doesn't go away no matter what cards are here. And we did this last year. You know, we, we sat through preview season, looking at Strixhaven, looking at the D&D set and being like, well, this is all cool, but like, I'm going to get crushed by Ultimatum over and over and over. The only thing I can do is like, try this idea plus blue. And I don't want to go through previous season like here's vampires plus blue. Here's whatever else is in this set plus blue over and over and over. And it's just all mired down by the existence of this just completely unreasonable card.
0: Maybe so, vampires is the savior, man. Maybe maybe vampires is fast enough, good but enough. But it's just it's, mono green. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's the
1: same thing.
0: It's one more deck that doesn't necessarily change anything. It's just more of the same.
1: I know. yes you can you can only chase it on sheer power level and it, it just becomes a feedback loop
0: if so. if you're trying to play past turn seven you're currently banned from standard mm-hmm. so i don't know epiphany or that that's your choice
1: i've made my choice fans
0: wait when you got hold on you have to be
1: specific brian what bands are you advocating for all of them. Ban everything. You know what? Yeah. I'm, I'm done with it. Just yeah. just ban me, actually. What can I do that would get me banned Where I don't have to worry about this anymore?
0: I have some ideas for that, too.
1: All right. Let's talk about those, and uh, we'll see if we can get those rolling. Game! Good